there, uh, Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, Bill Shakespeare, <laughs> he uh, wrote a play about Henry V. And there is a speech that Henry V gives in that play that just makes me want to shoot off through the roof. Have you ever heard like a speech that so impassions you and gets you like going that you just want to jump up and run or scream? I scream. I'm a, I'm a big screamer. But do you know that feeling of just like, mm, let's go? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, like I said, I'm, I'm loud. Um, uh, this speech happens on the morning of the Battle of Agincourt. And I don't know that I pronounced that right, but forgive me, I'm not a historian, I'm a feeler. And uh, what they see, <laughs> thank you, thank you guys. Um, what, what is happening is these English soldiers are outnumbered, I want to say it's like five to one, three to one. It is insane. They got 500 guys versus 3,000. The French army is there, and they, the French believe they're going to make short work of this British force. And there's a guy, there are three kind of commanders, and they're standing looking out over the, the battlefield, and they're, they're saying, oh no, we're in trouble. And one guy says, man, I wish, I wish we had but a thousand of those that are sleeping, sleeping in England right now. And King Henry hears it, and he says, do you? And he starts off on this speech about how thrilled he is to be fighting the battle with these 500 guys, how him and them have become a band of brothers, that they are his brothers in arms. That though, and he says, those who shed my, their blood with me from this day forth, be he so vile, will be my brother. Be he so low and nasty, that man's going to be my brother. And he encourages soldiers and, and gives them all of the hope that they need. And then he looks at his three generals and he says, hey, do you still want one more? And the general said, I would fight with you alone against the 3,000. He's so jazzed. <laughs> that is kind of what we got going on here in Hebrews. And it's exciting. And I'm excited to give it to you. I feel like I've preached some sad sermons recently. Um, but this one I, I feel like is exciting. And I want you to know about the good, the, the good word that the Lord has for you. It's encouraging to me to know that um, from the beginning of the church, Christians have, have gathered just like you have this morning to hear from the word of God, to hear it preached or taught by disciples. And when they had the word of God, those early churches, it was just the Old Testament. And indeed, this book of Hebrews that we're going to be looking at uh, in chapter 11 this book of Hebrews is a sermon to a congregation, a congregation facing turmoil. There is a war going on for them. They have an enemy, and that enemy is Nero, most likely, and he wants to crush the Christian community um, for his own reasons. Now, Nero's not just anybody who, <laughs> who knows who Nero is. Yeah, yeah. He's Caesar! He's the, he's the king of the most powerful nation in the world. He's got the power of life and death in his hands, and he is going to wield that power against this Christian community. And in the midst of pain and fear and turmoil and the seeing, the coming of persecution, these Christians are worried. They can go back to something else. They can go back to Judaism, and they'll be fine. They can go back to another thing, to um, their pagan roots, and they'll be fine. 
But if they stay with the people of God, persecution's coming. And it's to those people that this preacher preaches. And he gives them a rousing speech. After a great deal of teaching and admonishing and encouraging, he gets to 1039. This is not part of the passage that we're going to be talking about fully, but I'll just give you the context. He says, but we, brothers and sisters, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who believe and are saved. And then he dives in. I flipped the page. You couldn't see it. I dramatically flipped the page. <laughs> he dives in to the sermon or the encouragement of those who have faith. Um, Hebrews is filled with athletic language, running races, tr- pressing on towards the goal, even like military language of like, we have the battle to fight against them, and we're called into war. He is encouraging us in. And I hope that as you see this, as you hear this word, we're going to look at uh, the particular part, um, 11, verse 24 to 29, that's on page 1,876. As you read this, either here or in your Bibles, I hope that you experience the hope of our faith that's in someone greater. Let's read. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on the dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, that's our great uh, chapters 11, Hebrews 11 chapter. By faith is everywhere. The word is piste or something like that. And it just means by faith, and you can see it like, I'm pretty sure it's 20 times. 20 times or more in this text. And it's an encouragement and an exhortation. Let's do this. Let's go. Clay's sitting in the front row. I love that guy. And uh, I was working out at the gym with him one time. And I was lifting weights. Um, And I was lifting heavy weights. And he looked at me and he goes, let's go, Sam. Let's go. And encouraged me on. And I loved it. And I thank you, brother. That's what we got going on here. That's what we got going on here. So we see three things, because we always see three things, right? That's, that, that's what helps in sermons. It just helps with the structure. The three things we're going to look at is what faith overcomes. It overcomes two guys. Faith overcomes, um, uh, oh, goodness gracious, faith overcomes uh, pleasure and temptation. It overcomes temptation for the goods of this world. That's the first thing we see. Secondly, we see that faith overcomes fear. Finally, we see that faith delivers. And why does it deliver except for the object of our faith, who is the invisible made visible in Jesus Christ and who is our Lord and Savior? Let's let's dive into this and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, you, you work through the pastor's words. You work through the pastor's study. You work through the pastor's work. And if you don't, 
nothing I'm about to say is worth beans. You are the one that can work in the lives of, of your people. I pray that you would do so. I pray that you would work. In your name I pray. Amen. I paused in that prayer because I actually do really love beans. So when I say it's not worth beans, I, I actually love beans. But it's an expression. Sorry, I, I felt like I needed to explain that. I guess I did not. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on into what faith does. How it energizes action, the action to choose. Um, Karen Jobes, she is a, um, a, a commentary writer, and she writes a commentary on Hebrews and a lot of the general epistles. And she scans this chapter and says, what we see in uh, Hebrews 11 is a faith that's energized into action. It's not a, a, just a thinking about something or uh, an assent to doctrinal realities, though that is part of it. But faith, especially in Hebrews, drives us forward into action, into overcoming the enemy in many, many ways. Um, here's what she says. A quick scan of the activities of the people in this list reveals many action verbs. Brought, built, went, offered, blessed, gave instruction, hid, chose, kept, passed through, conquered, administered, quenched, and escaped. She goes on to say, clearly faith in view, the faith in view is not a mere intellectual assent to a set of doctrines, but a complete trust in God that energizes one's actions and decisions in life. And this is what we see with Moses. This is what the author is drawing out in Moses, is that what Moses goes and does is something pretty crazy. Um, In verses uh, 24 and following, we have by faith when when Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. If you don't know the story of Moses, it's kind of really important that I dive into it just a minute. Moses is a guy that incredibly lucked out in his life. He was born into a family that was a Hebrew family while the Hebrews were um, in a foreign land, the Egyptian land, the most powerful land in the world at the time, and the Egyptian pharaoh was the most powerful king of the time. And that pharaoh said, you know what, I'm afraid of these Hebrews. I'm going to make them all slaves, which is brilliant, right? You don't, you're scared of someone and you treat them, mistreat them. That's, that's the way to do it. No, it's not. It's terrible. But that's what pharaoh does. So he treats all of the, he makes his, the Hebrews people his slaves. And then they are continuing to prosper, and he's like, what am I going to do to stop these people from prospering? I know. I'll kill all their kids. So any boy that is born in this period of time, I want them thrown in the river. And Moses is born in this time. Now, why do I say he lucked out? Because he had some parents that really loved him, and that's, that they saw that, some, that the Lord was doing something with this child, so they protected him, and they hid him for a couple of months. And when they could no longer hide them, hide him, they lovingly made a basket, and they entrusted him to, him to the Lord, and they placed him in a river. And who should pick up that little baby boy who was born a slave, born in the gutter, born with no hope in life? Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter, instead of saying, ooh, yuck, a Hebrew, says, man, I love this little boy. And she takes this baby right into the palace, right into the king's courts, right into the most powerful space in the entire ancient Near Eastern world. Like, 
Pharaoh is one of ten most powerful people on earth at this time. And I'm giving it ten because I don't really know what was going on in the east and I don't know what was going on in the far west. But he is like one of the top dogs on earth. And now, this Hebrew baby boy named Moses is the son of the most powerful man in the world. And what is his inheritance but treasure and riches and security and education and hope of life? Anything this young man wants is at his fingertips. It's there for him. He's got it all. I, when I was a child, I thought I was really virtuous because I didn't really care about money. I wasn't worried about money at all. Um, I now know that that was pure ignorance and not virtue. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about money because my mom and dad, they carried that load. And they made sure that my life was, that I was fed, clothed, warm, well, we lived in Florida, so I was always warm, but cooled when I needed to be, right? Uh, I slept in a nice bed, I was educated, and all of that work was on my parents. And now that I'm a parent, with two and one on the way at any moment, I really care about money, <laughs> to my shame. Money, like, oh, it drives me nuts. I think about money. I was working on the sermon last night, because I always work on the sermon right before I give it, and I was like looking at my bank account, and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I worry about money so much, and stress about money so much, because it's my responsibility, as it is any adult in this space, to make sure that my kids, or that I am fed, cared for, housed, warmed, or cooled, if the, the, if, depending on the climate, that I have a bed to sleep in, that I am educated, and that I can get to where I need to go. That is on me now. And wow, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And for those of you who have more money than I do, I'm afraid I will confess to you, and, and not joking, um, that I get jealous of you. And for those of you that have less money than I, I pity you because I have no idea how you're making it work because I'm going crazy. Money consumes me. None of those things are good things, by the way, just to be clear. Those experiences of mine, those are sins. Pharaoh, do, I mean, Moses doesn't have to worry about that at all. That's why I say he lucked out. Pharaoh grabbed this little boy through the hands of his daughter and plucked this little boy from death and slavery and poverty and placed him into life. The life of a king, the wealth of a king, the security, the stability of a king. Moses had it all. But Moses also had faith. Faith in a God who was not about all of those things. Faith in a God whose people were somewhere else and what we see in Moses is what the, the preacher is calling for in his hearers who are facing Nero and the enemy who's going to crush them if they, if they move away from him. Nero, much like Pharaoh, most powerful guy, top ten powerful people in the world. Like, this guy can do whatever he wants. And the, the hearers of the Hebrews are at his mercy and they have to choose. Will we submit to Nero or return to something safer to avoid him? Or are we going to follow our Lord 
and Savior. And the preacher gives him Moses and says, hey, look at what Moses did. He came from peace. He came from security. He came from wealth. He came from safety. He abandoned it to be, to be part of the people of God. We see that this faith gives the action of this faith gives Moses the ability to choose between wealth of the world and the wealth of our Lord. And in that, over luxury and stability and life, Moses chooses to be mistreated. That's the term. Mistreated with the people of God. He chooses over luxury and hope and life to bear the reproach of the people of God. I hope you see in that someone else, someone else who did it even better, someone else who did it even greater. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. When he was in heaven, he was safe. There was none that was going to touch him. There was no one that was going to hurt him. And for the love of the people of God, he gave it all up. He gave it all up. And he went into the gutter. And he was born under the oppression of a Caesar. He had to flee for his life as a baby. He had to run to Egypt to stay safe so that, the, so that a king couldn't kill him. This Jesus, our faith, um, the one in whom our faith is, he does the same thing that Moses did after Moses. And he chooses the people of God and a life of pain and suffering over the pleasures of the, over the security of heaven for you. Moses does the same for the Hebrews. He sees the beauty of what it is to be numbered with the people of God even though they are mistreated and experienced the reproach of those around them. And he said, that's what I want. That's what I want. This active faith overcomes temptation. What does it mean to be part of the, to choose the people of God? I want you to think of Paul for a moment. Paul um, is on the road to Damascus, and he wants to destroy this new sect that is uh, making the Jewish faith disgusting. And it's a Christian community. And he is on his way to exterminate them. And on his way, or at least imprison them, and on his way, a vision appears. A bright light, a man comes with blinding light right in front of Paul and blocks his way. And that man says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, Lord, who the heck are you? <laughs> well, I'm not persecuting, that's not actually what he said, but you know what I mean. That, I, that, I'm not, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus so identifies himself with his people that when we insult the people of God, we insult him. When we throw stones at the, the people of God, we throw stones at him. The reproaches of you have fallen on me. This is what happens when David meets up with Goliath. And Goliath is like, you know, cursing the, peop the people of God's army. And David looks at him and says, you defy the armies of the living God. You picked a fight with God, you fool. You're going to die. And sure enough, Goliath dies. Right? Like, 
it, when we talk about choosing the people of God, we talk about identifying ourselves with the Lord himself who comes and is amongst them, who comes and brings them to himself and loves them. And that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what the Lord in the Old Testament did for the people of Israel. That's what Moses is seeing. Those are the people of God. Those are the people who God is with. I'm in. I'm in. And I will leave the wealth and the luxury and the ease behind. I will take no part of the world's temporal, temporal pleasure. I am tying my lot with them. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to face mistreatment and reproach. When I was translating this passage, those were the, first, the two words that came out and hit me in the face, guys. I'll tell you why, because I'm scared. I'm really scared of mistreatment, and I am really scared of reproach. I have so much fear. I don't want to be beat up. I don't want to be even, goodness gracious, I don't even want you to think that this is a bad sermon. Like, I, I can't, that, that's how far I'm afraid of disdain and reproach. And when I think about when I, when I think about the call, the call to give up security in life willingly to receive mistreatment and reproach, I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I can do it, guys. But there's good news for me, and if you feel that way, there's good news for you. It's not going to be you that does it. It's the faith and the one who the faith is in that's going to help you. What do we see here in the next section? By faith, um, he, oh, sorry. By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He sees the power of Pharaoh and he despises the anger without fear and moves forward. This is an old movie quote, all right? How many of you have seen, please show me hands because I'm really interested, The Guns of Navarone? Okay, yes. So my dad was a pastor and he also loved military movies and after Sunday's worship service, he would come home exhausted and he would stop at Blockbuster and buy three World War II movies that were always old and we'd watch them as a family and we would be up till midnight. It is the worst thing to do when you're exhausted. <laughs> but that was, his, that was his ritual. We would come home after church and watch World War II movies. Uh, Guns of Navarone is a 1961 movie. So it's, it's dated. Um, and what happens is you have this Nazi encampment on an island, a Greek island, I think it's of Navarone. And uh, on this Greek island there is a fortress, an impenetrable fortress, and there are two massive guns, the guns of Navarone, right? And they are laying waste to this other island where a bunch of allied troops are stranded. And any boat that comes to pick them up, these guns sink. And anyone that tries to help them, these guns um, wipe them away. These are the fearful guns of Navarone. And um, the English army has two options. We either leave these soldiers on this other island that's besieged by these guns alone, and they will die, or we have to do something to take out those guns. And so they send in a six-man team to take out the guns. Um, this six-man team, they're cutthroats, they're assassins, and they're sneaky. But they, uh, um, they get into 
and they get into the island and they're met by a couple of Greek, um, a couple of, of uh, Greek resistance fighters. All right, guys, I'm sorry. This is going to have some spoilers, but it's from 1961. Like, <laughs> if you <laughs> you had your chance. <laughs> okay. Um, so th they're making their way, and every, at every turn, they feel like someone's against them from within their group. And finally, near the end of the film, a traitor reveals herself. And she's one of the Greek um, resistance fighters. And she had claimed that she had been beaten by the Nazis, and she hated the Nazis. Um, and at this scene, the, the, the guy who's got the explosives, he's like, someone has taken out all of my explosives. Someone has made them all so they don't work. Who has done this? And he accuses her. He says, has anybody seen the scars on her back? And they show the, scar they, they show the back, and there are no scars. And they all realize that this is the traitor. And, and she's laying on the ground, and, the, and the, the colonel is like, why? And she says something. I, I, I'm telling you guys, I was like 11 when I saw this movie. And this line has never left me. It, like, scares the crap out of me. Um, she says, I can't stand pain. I can't stand pain. I'm afraid of pain. She says, it's all easy to be brave when you're free and you're running with your friends and there is hope. But I got caught and I didn't have anyone with me. And they, they threatened to torture me. They threatened to do horrible things to me. And then the colonel looks at her and says, since we've come, you've been with us. Why didn't you tie in with us? You could have been with us. And she looks at him and says, you're going to lose. There's six of you. We're toast. There was never any hope of getting out of here alive. She has no faith, no hope in the success of their mission, and she fears. I'm like that. I am like that in a lot of ways. But the Lord has done something. The Lord does provide hope through faith, through a faith that's not in uh, in, a, in a false thing. What Greg prayed at the beginning of the sermon, of, of, uh, at the beginning of, down here, he said, Lord, we thank you that the gospel is true. Um, and that, that's exactly right. Look, look at why. Look at why Moses gives up so much for mistreatment and reproach. The first one, um, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. That makes no sense. How do you see him who is invisible? Unless he reveals himself to him. The Lord has revealed himself to Moses and has implanted the faith that Moses has to say, hey, Pharaoh, I am not afraid of your anger because I serve a greater God. And he can scorn Pharaoh 
and do the Lord's bidding instead. Now Moses still felt fear, just like I feel fear. Exodus 2.14 says it. But Moses does not move because of fear. He moves out of faith. And that's the difference, brothers and sisters. If you're afraid, that's okay. The Lord is going to see you there, and he's going to move you through. Because that's what our faith is in, a God who is active and who is coming and is coming for us to take us from here to there, to take us to the reward, to take us to the city that is coming. We have hope. The guns of Navarone are going to blow up and the Nazis are going to lose this war. And you can side with us. You can join us in hope. There's a scene um, in the Gospels and it came to my mind as I was reading this. Jesus is looking... Jesus is looking right at Pilate. He's not giving Pilate the stuff that Pilate wants to hear. And Pilate says, hey, don't you know that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And Jesus says, you have no power unless it was given to you from above. And in the eyes of the world, guys, that's insane. Because Jesus gets crucified. Because Jesus dies. But he sees. He sees the invisible. He knows the reality. He knows what God is doing, just as Moses does. And so, this passage, this part, this story of Moses wraps up with, by faith he keeps the Passover. And by faith they walk through the Red Sea. And we see that the faith of Moses, the faith of the people of Israel, it does deliver them. Not the faith per, per se, the Lord behind the faith. They are delivered from the power of Pharaoh, from the power of the enemy. And the, and the preacher to the Hebrews in uh, Hebrews eleven nineteen is saying, brothers and sisters, take heart. We are not of those who fall back in the face of the enemy. Why not? Why not? Because of their faith. Their faith in one. In Jesus Christ the object of our faith. Brothers and sisters, for Moses, he was looking ahead to a greater reality. For you and me, that greater reality has taken on flesh and blood. He has come into our temporal experience. He has taken on our suffering. He has walked this world. In 1 John 1, it says, it's the one we have seen the one we have touched, the one we have handled. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, says, I touched him, guys. I touched him. For us, our faith looks back to the invisible made visible in Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again. And we look to him, and we look forward to the invisible when he is coming back. But we have the first fruits of faith. And that faith is not fake. And that was a voice crack. That faith, is, that faith is not fake because the Lord has done it and he has split his body and poured out his blood and it wasn't the end of the story. He rose again from the dead. And so when we take communion, brothers and sisters, we say, you have come, you are with us now, and you are coming again. And in that reality, our hope is fueled. Your faith is fueled. Brothers and sisters, because of what Christ has done for you, you will be able to turn away from the treasures and the pleasures of the enemy 
towards him, because of what Christ has done for you, you will be able to overcome the fear of mistreatment for him. And I've seen it with Greg. And I look to see it in my life as well. Because our Lord has done it. And he overcame. And he is coming again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our victor. You are our firm foundation. You are the hope of our salvation. You are the, the pillar, the rock of our faith. Lord, give us the strength and the energy and the encouragement to pursue you in all things, to turn away from the enemy, whether it be Nero or the threats of Pharaoh, and to turn towards you and live for you and experience the reality that you have come, that you have died, that you have rose again, and you are coming again with rewards and treasures in your wake for your people. In your name I pray. Amen.